right, you know, that like little clip before the show. It's just it's gonna, gonna be, be like five minutes long. No, it's just gonna be like my net worth is negative, and then like da 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 da. <laughs> Hello, it is Thursday, August 11th, 2016, and this is episode 21 of Do For A Win, the Atlantic City and Casino Biz podcast. My name is Craig Stone, with me is Kyle Askin. Howdy. Uh, So we've got some big, big news that is not something that we would have hoped to bring to you in this episode, Um, but first we will knock out some of the boring city stuff uh, as they try to avoid bankruptcy and get back on their feet and continue to pay their bondholders and, you know, all those things that cities are supposed to do. Uh, So the latest is that they will receive the first portion of the bridge loan from the state this week, uh, either Thursday or Friday. Um, It is now the end of Thursday, so I'm guessing that didn't happen today because we haven't heard anything about it. But this bridge loan, which the city has agreed to, comes with some conditions. And one of the big things is that the state can take all kinds of collateral if the city can't pay pay back the loan, um, like the water utility, Bader Field, they can actually withhold the pilot funds, the uh, payment in lieu of taxes funds that are meant for Atlantic City. The city actually has to draft a plan where it would dissolve the water utility, Uh, but they can cancel that plan at any time if they are paying back the loan without doing that. So that's one thing that they have to do. You know, they've been kind of uh, trying to hold off on privatizing or dissolving the water utility. Uh, This is kind of forcing them into action a little bit. And then the other thing is that the city cannot sell or lease any asset without the state's permission. So you can read all about this in a Christian Hedrick article uh, from the Press of Atlantic City that I'll link to on uh, the podcast page. But Definitely uh, some people not happy about these conditions. I know Don Guardian said he thought they were very overreaching, um, but you know, obviously the state wanted to take over <laughs> Atlantic City in the first place, and they reached this compromise, and so they're going to sort of use whatever power they can find to make it as difficult for Atlantic City for Atlantic City as possible. It seems like you know, I don't know that there's too much to say. No, I mean it's it's kind of the same same old stuff that we've been dealing with since. Episode one, basically, I feel like, I mean, it just keeps getting rehashed and rehashed and rehashed and it just is what it is at this point. And I'm basically beginning to enter the mode where um, it's just hard for me to care until something big actually happens. Yeah. I mean, you make the point that we've been dealing with this basically since episode one and that was in November. And now November, it, December, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's November. So now it's August. So we're what, nine months in, and we're still dealing yeah. with the same thing. So We do this bi-weekly, so episode 26 will be a year in theory, because I don't think we've really skipped a week. Yeah, I think we've actually added a couple in there. Yeah. But, um, so the city also put Baderfield out for bid in an effort to get some money that it could use to either pay its bills or pay back this loan, <laughs> and uh, it received two bids, and the city council president, Marty Small, said that they are too low, uh, this is another Christian Hetrick article in the Press of Atlantic City. And Small's quote was that we can't act out of mere desperation because of our financial condition. Uh, you, I think, do not necessarily agree with this. <laughs> is that right? I mean, they're they're kind of in. Right. Yeah. I mean, times. that's not. Yeah. Like that statement doesn't hold any water. I mean, if, I, you know, my household was you know, out of money and, you know, my wife wanted me to sell my baseball card collection, which I don't have, but if I did have a baseball card collection and I was like, well, we can't act out of desperation just because of our financial condition. Like that doesn't make sense. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, no, that doesn't mean anything. I sort of see his point, which is basically like, if you think of Baderfield as, I mean, it's like any other asset. If you think of it as like a stock, it is at its lowest possible point right now. I mean, it's, its value is as low as it's probably going to get. Um, and so you should, you could certainly argue that they should have sold it, whatever, four years ago or ten uh, years I, ago. But it, ten, ten years ago is a bit, bit yeah, four years ago I would say it was probably significantly lower than it is now. Well, I mean, there weren't four casino closures four years yeah, ago. Yeah, <laughs> but it was, it was 
Atlantic City, I would say, was in much worse shape four years ago than it is now. Uh, so I see where he's coming from, but I agree. You know, at some point you are you're in the position that you're in, and you've just got to sort of make ends meet and, and get to the next point and hope that it doesn't screw you long term. So I don't know. We'll, I mean, we'll see what happens. It seems like he's going to push to not sell it, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, so this goes back to, I mean, we talked about this definitely in the first five episodes as well. Um, I, I mentioned it sometime early on that, that Don Guardian said, you know, Bader Field is always up for sale. Like, we're just waiting for what we think is a reasonable bid. And to come back to what you said about how if it were a stock, I mean, I think there's a there's a couple differences between sort of a piece of property and a stock. I'd say that stock obviously is much more liquid so i think that it is a bit easier to just say that like the market should always kind of know what this is worth because it is so liquid whereas a piece of real estate it it's not nearly as liquid which is why i think it's a lot easier probably to make money in real estate than it is in stocks um so i i mean i think there's some validity to them saying that like this might not be the best time but I mean, if you want to talk about the the financial stuff, I mean, I think it's just like the interesting bigger picture. Like, wh- what should you do in a case where, like, absolutely, like Atlantic City's been like horribly mismanaged for years and years, and you know they clearly have like way more costs than expenses, and a lot of that is because a of mismanagement and b because their tax base went down, uh, whatever whatever it was uh, from like what 20 million to 6 million or something over the last 10 years. Well, billion, but yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Billion. Um, which would basically, you know, kill probably any municipality in the country. So, and, and you know, a lot of the people that have been mismanaging Atlantic city aren't really a part of the current administration. So I, I understand both sides of, of the argument. I understand the state saying like Atlantic city has just been, historically awful in what they've been doing and Atlantic City saying, yeah, but, you know, the people running the city now weren't part of any of that. So, I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens. Yeah, the ongoing saga. I'm sure this is just another minor step in the (laughs) long-term, long-running bridge loan, takeover, pilot, everything that we've talked about, it seems like now for almost a year. So, non-city news, much... Well, maybe happier, maybe not. We've talked about this the last couple episodes. Is uh, M Life Rewards or MGM Resorts, who runs the M Life Rewards, sent out an email this week about Borgata, specifically about Borgata, saying, you know, welcome, welcome Borgata to M Life Rewards. Uh, I'm sure most of the listeners received this. Uh, they actually also added an FAQ on MLife.com, which I'll link to. And basically, the meat of the email uh, or the, and and the FAQ, uh, or at least what I would think that anybody would care to hear, is that Borgata is going to continue to offer the My Borgata Rewards loyalty program, which is you know the standard red or black card that you've got now, through at least the end of the year. And it says My Borgata Rewards will become M Life Rewards in 2017. So it's just going to they're just going to take your current status, all your balances and your offers. That'll all just go right into MLife. They specifically say that that will all be maintained when the transition occurs. They haven't given an exact date, just just said it's early 2017. So there's not going to be any period, it seems like, where there's, oh, you can be my Borgata or you can also use your MLife. It's just going to be a straight-up transition, like everything that you've got in my Borgata Rewards is going to get shifted to MLife. You'll start getting everything branded MLife. You're going to start getting MLife emails. They do email a lot, although I would say not nearly as much as Total Rewards. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. I expect most people won't be too affected. Uh, it'll be interesting to see for the people who do get a lot of comps how their comps change. I expect it won't be an immediate change, but sort of over time, the people who really pay attention to the comps and really get consistent comps, I think are going to be able to tell us pretty clearly what changes from my Borgata uh, rewards to MLife rewards probably within a couple months of this transition. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we've, we've talked, you know, I mean, it's good to lay out. It's good that they've announced exactly what's happening. And as we said in the prior couple episodes, we'll kind of see uh, what 
other effects this has on Borgata as time goes on. Yep. Uh, the other thing, just really quick mention, is that Borgata just within the last couple of days held a job fair. Yeah, I saw that for the for the new MGM property in National Harbor. Right. So so not for Atlantic City, for jobs in Maryland, uh, in yep. in Prince George's County, just outside of DC, and so. A great county, Craig. It is a great county. That's where I grew up. That's where, that's where Craig grew up, and that's where I live now. Uh, so, I mean, certainly timing <laughs> with with our next big news item, uh, which is the Taj Mahal. Just let's have a we should have some meta talk. Should I try to go to uh, the new M Life Casino shortly, like the weekend it opens or whatever? Probably right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be National Harbor. I think it's going to be totally packed the weekend it opens, but that's eh, for journalism. That's true. You'll put in the effort. For, you'll put on your. Your journalism outfit and go straight to a, uh, a table and sit there for a couple hours and play and leave. Straight to some six five video poker machine. Oh yeah, <laughs> five five video poker. Yeah, yeah I've heard that or the like two pair pays one instead of two or something like that. Yeah, I've heard the Maryland casinos are not great for the video poker. No, video, video poker is not good. So there used to be, and no one that's listening cares about this, but too bad it's our podcast. So there used to be. In Horseshoe, there was two one dollar uh, video poker machines, sort of at the top of one of the escalators, sort of near the Diamond Lounge in the Horseshoe. But uh, they've been taken away. So yes, the video poker is crap in Maryland. Yes. But the rules for the table games tend to be very good because the state sort of mandates what they are. Yeah, some Caesar's brass was like, "What is this nine six thing? What are you doing? <laughs> like, get rid of this. Replace it with some five five. Like, there's this one guy who's the worst diamond in the entire system who seems to play them every time he comes in. Yeah, let's get rid of this. Let's guy. ruin his day. <laughs> um, but yes, the table game rules are very good, which I I didn't realize was a, a Maryland state rule, but... Yeah, it's, it's the same in Pennsylvania, too. Oh, so good to know. I mean, AC rules are typically good compared to Vegas, but... Uh, so, I think when I was younger... Like, when I first started going to AC, I feel like it was basically all uh, stay on soft 17. soft 17, and now I think that's much more rare. Oh, yeah, it's incredibly rare. I mean, Resorts, I think, is the only place I've seen it. I don't know if there's in, in the high roller rooms but, if uh, there's um, more of that, but... Yeah, and certainly surrender is only in the in the high limit room. It's only in the high limit room. It's only in the high limit room in the Golden Nugget if you ask for it. <laughs> yeah, and I and I think surrender also used to be more common than that. But surrender, uh, there's actually more surrender in Vegas than there is in AC. But surrender is also it's any blackjack table in Maryland you can get surrender, and yeah. I also believe that's the same in Pennsylvania. Yeah, so that's what you need to know or don't need to know <laughs> about <laughs> Maryland casinos. Uh, so the big news that we are here to talk about, you know, beyond just that it's our standard podcasting time, <laughs> is that the Taj Mahal, the Trump Taj Mahal, has announced plans to close after Labor Day weekend. So 2,400 workers will lose their jobs. They've been notified that that will happen on October 10th. There is no set closing date. It's just been saying after Labor Day uh, it seems strange that they would pay workers through October 10th and not have them work through October 10th, since that expense is incredibly high. So unless they're just losing so much money for every day that they're open, <laughs> uh, I expect that we'll find out that the date is October 10th, and they'll kind of wind things down until then. So the big, the main article I'll link to is, is Nicholas Huba, who's a Press of Atlantic City writer. Um, Carl Icahn, who owns the Trump Taj Mahal, put out a statement afterwards saying that his company spent or lost $100 million trying to save Taj Mahal. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, he also says that he made it very clear to Local 54 union head Bob McDevitt that they were providing their best and final offer to them, and basically they needed to put it to a vote to their people. And he said that McDevitt wouldn't do that. So really saying that the strike, um, which, you know, for the last, since July 1st, so for the last almost month and a half, uh, about a thousand hospitality workers have been on strike. So, you know, bartenders, restaurant workers, the, the housekeeping crew have all been on strike at the Taj. And um, 
I think both Carl Icahn and Tony Rodeo, who is the like CEO or whatever, um, president of operations or something at uh, Tropicana and Taj, both put the blame squarely on the union and said, you know, this has just made it so that there's no path to profitability here. McDevitt uh, from the union obviously does not agree. <laughs> so he responded saying that they haven't received an offer since June 30th. And his quote uh, at that time, workers rejected that proposal and voted to strike. So he's basically saying, like, we did vote on it. Like, I don't know what you're talking about kind of thing. I don't know. I'm going to guess that both Icon and McDevitt's statements are some version that is truthy, but not the whole truth. I don't know. That's just sort of my my guess. Uh, so, I mean, this is it. I, Taj seems like it's going to close. There, there was a faint glimmering of hope in my mind when the news first broke that maybe this was just a power play on Icon's part because he felt like, hey, you know, if you're going to push me as the union, if you're going to come and threaten to strike and, and say you're willing to let the place close down and have everybody lose their jobs, okay, well, that's the result unless you get back to work. But it doesn't seem like there's any unless you get back to work to this right now. It seems like this is it and it's going to close unless you have any differing opinion on that. I mean, it's possible. I mean, I think you're actually the person who pointed it out on Twitter and I think it was a really good point that, that this has happened before. Yeah, I mean, Taj... I mean, it's not the first time they've said that we're closing on this date. I actually think it's the third time. Maybe it's only the second, but... They've definitely sent out worn letters, which is the letter you're required to send to your staff when you're closing, multiple times. Mm. I don't know if it's the second or the third, but last September they said they were going to close, same thing, in the fall sometime, um, and sent out the worn letters, and then... Yeah, they were supposed to close shortly after our first or second episode, I think, and then they didn't. Yeah, I think around when Showboat closed, and right. so they ended up, well, they ended up winning that bankruptcy ruling saying that they could strip the health care, which is now what led to the strike um, where the the local 54 workers were trying to get the health care reinstated. I think Icon offered some sort of not full reinstatement, but partial. Uh, the union obviously didn't feel that that was, that was good enough, and so they continued to strike. The union is actually still there and striking, and, you know, even though it's closing, and has been chanting things like, if we don't get it, shut it down, meaning, like, if we don't get our health care and our deal, then shut the casino down, which, like, okay, that's, that is the result. <laughs> I mean, that's what's happening, so I don't know. Uh, what that chant really gets them, but it's it's definitely interesting. Um, this actually, just a quick mention, this inspired one of our listeners to send us an email with some of his memories. He actually used to work at resorts, uh, and he would pop over to the Taj to play on his lunch break and just send us some of his memories that we posted as a guest blog post on doforwind.com. So if you want to go read that, go check that out. I thought it was just some nice thoughts about the Taj, since we haven't spent much time there, uh, to sort of hear somebody who had some some fond memories of, of the property. But getting back to the sort of ins and outs of the the closure and the and what what led to this, uh, and I want to be really careful here with how I phrase this because I don't want to get into the politics of union, you know, pro anti union, because um, I'm generally pretty pretty indifferent <laughs> to all that but just from a totally tactical standpoint do you think this is was just a terrible misplay by mcdevitt and by local 54 i mean well so so what is their goal to get to get a contract and to have their jobs is it though i mean so here's the thing right it's it's if if you think that their their purpose at the point of the union is to try to make sure that that these workers at the Taj you know continue having a job uh, and to get the best deal possible for them, then like yeah, of course it's a misplay. You know they could have accepted something else. They, they, there could have been a deal that was made. But if you think that the purpose of the union is to make sure that all of the workers of Atlantic City get the best benefits and the best deal that they can, then if you're going to have one casino that's going to offer like significantly, significantly less than all the other casinos and you allow that to happen, like that's probably really, really bad for your union. 
Yeah, and the, right. You're setting the precedent that it's all right not to offer health care, you know, and you're setting the precedent that, you know, whatever. So I don't, it, it depends. I mean, is it is it is it terrible for the people who are losing their jobs? Of course it is. I mean, could the union have done something differently to to help those people out more? Like, of course they could have. But is that the point of the union? Yeah. And that's that's something that I think is always a tough balancing act for for a union and for somebody who's in a union as an individual member who only obviously cares about their own self-interest within the union and who is hoping that the union represents that, is that the union's really trying to do something that is for the greatest good of the most members of the union, and that may not really help you. Uh, I mean, just to bring a sort of personal anecdote into this, when I first started at where I work now... Um, which is a union job. There was I'm I'm I was on a non-guaranteed contract and that contract was ending and there was a there was a movement to do like a one or two day furlough, basically saying everybody who's full time is going to get furloughed for two days. It's going to and forfeit their pay, and that's going to make a close up a huge gap in the budget. And at that time, I was almost at the end of my contract and. They had basically said, like, there's no way that we can renew your contract with the budget the way it is. And so the the organization, I don't know if it was the state or who, announced that the furlough was going to happen. And the union fought them on it hardcore. And eventually they backed down and said, okay, no furlough. And to me, it's like, yes, I would rather have my two days pay right now. But in the long term, I'd much, much rather have my contract get renewed. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was very, it really did feel like, the interests, like my personal long-term interests, were in direct contrast with the the interests of the union in general, and so that's obviously not nearly as, as extreme as this example, where basically the union is pushing pushing on something where the risk is a thousand of their members' jobs. So you know, part of it is you know how much the union values those jobs and how much the union values those thousand members. Right. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. If we want to talk about something we probably know a bit more about, it's like in sports, like all of the unions for the players in sports, like if you're a rookie, you're getting screwed because all the unions basically set it up so that like the rookie contracts are far below market value because they're more interested in making sure that the veteran players get paid. Right. And that's just what they're, you know, setting out to do. Yeah. Because, you know, that helps more of their... <laughs> right. And really, screwing so, over the rookies helps the veterans get paid even more. <laughs> right. So, I, I don't... I wouldn't say it's necessarily misplayed by the union, but it just... It depends on on what viewpoint you're looking at. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is that if you're... So, there are, I think, 2,000-plus, maybe, you know, at least 1,400 or 1,500 people who work at the Taj who are dealers and in other roles at the casino that are not part of the strike. Right. And so aren't, if you're one of them, aren't you thinking, wow, screw you. Like you cost me my job. <laughs> like you did, you, you made a play that you cost me job, my job. Or do you feel like, you know, I work with these people. I have some solidarity. You know, I wouldn't want my health care to be like stripped away or my health care already was stripped away. So I can relate. I don't know. Um, I'm sure it differs depending on the person, depending on what they do or whatever. Yeah. So it's definitely, I'm sure there's plenty of people that feel both ways about it. Well, I I mean, there's probably less people that say like, yeah, I have solidarity with these people because people don't like losing their jobs, especially when you're working in the casino industry in Atlantic city where it's not like easy to get another job. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, and I was saying to one of our friends pretty quickly after this happened that if, if you're in the union, aren't you, immediately calling for Bob McDevitt's head because he made a gamble here and said, we think that you've got, you can offer more than this. And then they didn't get that off. No, the I, close, I, but I don't think it's a gamble. I think he's looking out for the, for the benefit of the most people in the union. I don't, I think that this was an outcome that he probably knew was possible and that he thought was acceptable. Yeah. And probably not even that he knew was possible, but that he knew was one of the most likely outcomes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, if I were going into the situation and I was messing with Carl Icahn, I would suspect that if I tried to play hardball with him, this was very likely what was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder if they thought that Icahn had tipped his hand a little bit when they got the Tropicana deal. 
and maybe they felt like, oh, well, we can, we know what you're willing to offer. <laughs> but that would be kind of naive, I think, to to think that that offer would also work for the Taj, which is obviously on a on a much different trajectory and really struggling and has been struggling and has been trying to avoid bankruptcy. Um, so the other thing I'm wondering is is what are the plausible scenarios here? And this is just going to be totally guesswork, right? But mm-hmm. you know, obviously the most likely one is that it actually closes and that it just closes and it's closed for a while until they can find a buyer. Uh, mm-hmm. Another scenario, I think Eric actually mentioned this in the Facebook group. Well, Eric said he thought that it was actually basically Icon playing his, his saying, you know, I've got all the power here, get back to work and we can keep it open. So he was saying that it was more of a negotiating tactic. Negotiating tactic. It was actually on Twitter. I don't know if it's Twitter or, or in the group, but Vito of Cousin Vito's Casino podcast <laughs> posted saying... He could see this sort of ending up where they close the casino and it's just like a union busting move. Like they close the casino, unions out, and they reopen. I don't know how I don't know how the rules are. If they reopen, it's yeah. probably got to be union people anyway. Um, I, I don't I don't I don't know what the rules are in in New Jersey and. If, if they try to do that, even if they're even if it's legal, uh, I suspect there's going to be a big blowback. I mean, just something for me, something that I follow sort of well, I used to follow incredibly closely was you know we, which we've talked about in prior episodes is MMA, and the guys who own the UFC, which is the biggest MMA company, are actually they get their money from casinos. Fertitas. It's, it's the Fertitas who own the station casinos, which are kind of like the locals casinos in uh, Nevada. And they were like the biggest casino company that are not union. Yeah, and they own the Golden Nugget. And, yeah, and uh, so they basically for years and years and years and until very, very recently, MMA was banned in New- the state of New York simply because the union had enough pull there that they could make it – they could basically block any legislation to legalize MMA in the state of New York because the union hated their guts. Wow. So some of these unions have a lot of power and, and you know, I, I have no idea what the legality of it, if it was a casino or a union busting move or not, if, you know, I don't know if that's legal in the state of New Jersey, but even if it is, you know, that still might not have the outcome that, that uh, the casual observer might, think that it would have because a lot of these unions are very powerful yeah i mean i don't know how powerful 54 really is especially as they lose their workers left and right but uh, i mean you mentioned mma and and the fertita brothers interestingly they actually just sold their stake in uh in ufc so they yeah, made a nice they made a nice profit they bought it for two million dollars and sold it for four billion i think yeah and so. i think they they own 40 percent, so they get like 1.6 billion dollars um basically. no they own they own 90 percent. oh they sold some actually to some guy in the middle east i think at some point but yeah, i think i mean they're definitely getting a good chunk of they made a lot of money yes uh, so there's all sorts of speculation of how they're going to spend their money um you know i know a few properties in atlantic city on the boardwalk that, are, <laughs> <laughs> that they can get for something that wouldn't even put a dent in that uh Obviously, we're talking about things like the Fontainebleau in Vegas or I don't know what else everybody's saying they're going to buy. Uh, football team, actually, I think is the, is the big one, uh, trying to bring an NFL team to Vegas. But what do you think the the scenarios are other than just closing? You know, could they – I mean, we mentioned reopening as sort of a union-busting measure. I, I would guess that that's not really viable. I think it would probably be more likely that it's – reopening with a crappier deal for the union members and basically saying like, Hey, remember that deal that was our best and final offer? Like, well, here it is again. So, so, I mean, so here's the other thing that doesn't make sense if it is a union busting measure, like, you know, how many people went to showboat to try to apply for the 200 jobs they had there or whatever. How many people went to Borgata to apply for, basically to move down to Maryland and do that. You know, it's, it's, if they were wanted to bust the union and, you know, like I said, I don't know what's legal and what's not, but if, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people in Atlantic city that would be more than happy to be, you know, either scabs temporarily or just to get hired into these roles and not be in a union. So 
I don't know if they'd even actually have to close it to to quote unquote break the union. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, again, I, I have no idea what what what's legal and what's not in New Jersey, but but that also makes it seem pretty clear that, or at least pretty likely that the the rules don't really allow that, um, or at least they know that the resistance would be so strong that it wouldn't even be worth it. I I, I think. Right now, if I had to guess, if I had to handicap it, I would say that I would think it's more likely than not that the Taj actually closes. Yeah, I mean, I think one other thing that I could sort of see is some sort of sale where it's actually like a sale, but not really a sale. It's like some sale to some subsidiary of something that Icon owns, and maybe he doesn't own as much of, he ends up not owning as much as of the Taj as he used to, but he still has a significant stake in, his, in it, and is maybe even still heavily involved in the decision-making. Um, and then they reopen with some crappy deal for the <laughs> for the union. Um, so I, I could see that. I could also just see them saying, we're going to totally cut ties with this, like this was just a headache. The question that that brings up to me is where does Taj now rank on the list of available casinos? Like if you're an investor who's looking to get into the casino game and you see what's available in AC, which is now the Trump Plaza, uh, the Taj, the Atlantic Club, which we haven't... Which cannot even legally be opened as a casino. Right. Or... Uh, and let's throw Revel in there just because, you know, I'm guessing if somebody came with a big check, Straub would probably wash his hands well yeah so i mean it's taking out the revel like you know the taj is obviously better than trump plaza which probably basically needs to be bulldozed and (laughs) rebuilt or at the very least have very very major work done uh atlantic club like we said I, i don't even think it's legal to be open as a casino right now with with the deed restrictions that were put on that uh, Rebel, I think, would be much more interesting. Uh, I think it's clearly the most interesting property that's not open right now in Atlantic City. However, I suspect that Glenn Straub would want a reasonably significant amount of money, especially given the value he's added into that property simply by breaking uh, ACR Energy or, or whatever the energy company was called. Um, so I imagine that you could probably get Taj reasonably inexpensively if you wanted it, especially once it closes as compared to Rebel. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think those are the top two. I think if you take Rebel out of the equation, it becomes more of a question of how much work is needed at Taj versus Plaza. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Plaza needs tons, just tons. Or or you could buy the, uh, the Sands lot and that's true too. I mean, we've talked early on a lot about the polar coaster, but have they actually done any work on that? I haven't heard anything about it in quite a while. <laughs> I know. So uh, that lot may be for sale if you want to build a brand new casino in Atlantic City, which I personally would not want to do. But yeah, I mean, the one thing that I keep saying for the plaza, and I think we both keep saying for Trump Plaza, is that it's dead center. It's the first thing you see when you drive in off the expressway, and so. So, so yeah, we we say it is dead center on the boardwalk, and it kind of is in a way. But there's only one casino south of it, right? But it's also right next to Caesars. It is I mean, right next to Caesars. If it opens, it's it's. I mean, it's the closest thing to central. I mean, the Caesars Valley's complex is is the most central thing, and especially with Revel Borgata. I mean, Borgata, <laughs> Revel, Showboat, and Taj, not casinos right now. Everything is shifted further south, so it almost feels even more central than it used to. I mean, one of the things I'd be worried about if I was buying Taj is what's going on with Showboat, what's going on with Revel. There's a ton of uncertainty up at that section of the boardwalk. I feel like I'd rather be closer to Caesars where there's some stability, although you could argue that that's just totally meaningless because Borgata opened way away from everything else, and (laughs) I mean, I guess not that far from Trump Marina, but that was just a shithole, so (laughs) yeah, maybe it's just one of those things where it's about Trump's palace. Wasn't that what it was called originally? I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean, maybe it's if it's good, it doesn't matter. I mean, I know Trump 
Taj needs work, uh, like the rooms need work, and I think the some of the common areas need work. The casino's in much, much better shape than Plaza was before it closed. Trump's castle, I'm sorry. Yes, castle. Uh, so close. Yeah. Thanks, Wikipedia. Yeah, and then there's Trump's World's Fair, which used to be the Playboy Casino the but Playboy in Atlantis. Casino. But, yeah, I don't know. I think I think Taj would be really attractive because it's still sort of got that allure of it was the biggest and baddest thing, which Trump Plaza never was, and obviously Atlantic Club never was. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go or what they're going to be asking for it. I know that Icon already shut down a purchase uh, of the Plaza for $20 million because he said it was too cheap. So who knows what he's going to be asking for Taj, which seemingly was, you know, I mean, it was doing poorly, but I think profitable uh, given the 2015 data that we saw where every casino in Atlantic City was profitable with their earnings. So the thing that would scare me if I was a big... uh an investor who wanted to build a casino and I was looking at the Taj is that it's it's so big and I think it, it needs renovation reasonably badly. I, I suspect it'd be pretty expensive to fix it up and make it nice. Yeah, I think it needs a lot of work and I think it needs sort of a reimagining of of what it is in 2016 and beyond because I think right now it's not... Like everything is sort of tacked on. It feels like yeah, and and I know that we, you know we had this argument when we the last time we all went to Atlantic City and a, a bunch of people and perhaps you included, perhaps not, actually kind of liked the the decor in the Taj, and I I think it's just god awful. The on the fl- casino floor itself, yeah, like the huge chandeliers and like the mirrors and yeah, I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think most people did, but uh, it's not not for me. Yeah, I, I didn't mind that. I think more just sort of that the the sort of food court area, the Spice Road or whatever it's called, feels very tacked on. Um, it's just so big too, right? It's, it I feels mean, like, unnecessarily I big. I don't know if it's actually any bigger than any other casino, but when you're in there, it just feels humongous. And and it feels humongous, but like not well used in a way that yeah. I would say. I would say the same thing about Revel. Like you just walk Where through these just, areas of yeah, nothing. Yeah, you feel like you're walking down like aisles. Yeah, with nothing there. Yeah, I mean maybe that hasn't always been true at yeah. at Taj. I don't know. I, I wasn't there in the heyday. But nope, me either. Uh, the other big question I had is what does this mean for the seven now remaining casinos in Atlantic City? I mean I know when it was down to eight, we saw that they were all profitable. It seemed to be actually a pretty good thing for the remaining casinos and a lot of the analysts were saying that the market had right sized and that this was good and eight was the number they need to be at. So, you know, you've got seven casinos left. Is this good for them or is, does it actually at some point do you sort of go over the hill where now it feels like there's less of a reason to go to Atlantic city and it's going to hurt them. What do you think about that? Um, I mean, I think it's good for them certainly, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's going to come a point where, you know, obviously Caesars closed uh, the showboat, not because it was unprofitable, but because closing it was just good for the rest of the casinos there, which they owned three of the eight or whatever. But um, there there will be a point where it may actually start to be bad for the other casinos, but I don't think we're there yet. I think it'll be good for, for every other casino. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're Caesars, if you're an exec at Caesars, you cannot believe your good fortune <laughs> at that news. I mean, I think they now will own three of the seven casinos. I had sort of had this crackpot theory that they were waiting out Taj to potentially close Bally's just because then they could still own two of six, basically, and keep a ton of the people who were at Bally's at Caesars. I mean, Caesars and Bally's are attached I've softened on that because I think they've put a lot of effort into Bally's and I think why close it now when it stands to be even more profitable, right? Like it's not like their capacity is so high anymore that it's just a total detriment, which you could argue that it was when they had four of 12, but 
Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens with Bally's. Uh, I I wouldn't be shocked if they close just the park place portion of Bally's. I expect that Wild Wild West would stay open, but I don't know. I I, I also I mean this is part of the narrative I've been kind of pushing the whole time we've had the show that I think Atlantic City is actually improving despite casinos continuing to close. So I would say that I feel less certain about Bally's closing now than I would have been if you asked me at episode, you know, one or two or three or eight or whatever, but um, it still could happen. But I, I feel less certain about it happening now than I did six months ago. Yeah, I mean, I was never certain about it, but I sort of had this feeling that they were sort of looking for, for this opportunity. They, they were looking for a reason to close it. Yeah, but I think it's dragged on long enough now where the city's actually rebounded. We have seen this sort of right-sizing. You do make a good point about Wild Wild West, and there is still that big expanse from the sort of dance floor bowl, mechanical back bowl, to the poker room. all the way back yes. to the poker room, where they could take a lot of the table games and slots that are in Bally's right now and move them over and basically say this is now part of Caesars. Cut their operating costs by probably significantly. No, probably in half, I mean. Yeah, and then and still get a, take a bunch of, ton take of a bunch revenue. Of off the market and and yeah, and still get a ton of the revenue. I mean, the question, I guess, would be, what kind of room revenue are they getting now? I mean, is that really meaningful, or is it that it's just, uh, you know, that's just meaningless compared to the to the gaming revenue? In which case, they could probably keep a ton of that gaming revenue by moving things to the Wild Wild West, and obviously they've got the total awards. So a lot of people are going to stay in that system. So. That's an interesting thought. Uh, hopefully it does not come to that because that would be, you know, at some point you're down to three boardwalk yeah. casinos. I mean, resorts, that, if you're at Resorts Caesars and, and uh, Trop, yeah, yeah. that would be pretty rough. That would be a bummer. I actually like the Park Place. So. Yeah, I I'm one of one of the few, I think, that, that really enjoys being in Bally's Park Place. I don't it's so for, it. for me, it's like, when I think of Atlantic City, I think it's like the casino I think of is like, yeah, sitting in Bally's Park Place, just playing whatever, craps or pie poker or blackjack or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, it is it is almost what I picture when I picture AC casinos, and I think part of that is that I've spent an unfortunate amount of time there. Um, right? I, I mean, I think it's the casino I've spent the most time in. Is Bally, probably Bally's Park Place. Yeah, I mean, another part of that is that I the very first time I went, I took the bus to Bally's and just, like, walking in through the Bally's bus terminal, not really knowing what to expect, and being mesmerized by the crappy chandeliers in the bus terminal and just thinking, like, this is great, and you walk through the walkway and you see the facades of the Wild Wild West as you walk into Bally's, and just, like, I was, I loved it from the second I stepped foot into it. So I definitely have nostalgia for Bally's. I think that first trip we spent a ton of time in the Bally's Casino just because it was cheaper than Caesars, and we spent almost all our right. time in the Caesars Bally's. Wild Wild yeah, West I, I, I agree. I mean, it's just that I've spent the most of my time in TR casinos in general, and you know the table limits of Bally's are just lower than than Caesars. And so, I mean, I've also spent a lot of time in Harris and Borgata as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if one of those beat Bally's, but I don't think I think Bally's is probably the casino I spent the most time in. Yeah. Uh, in my life, even more than the Maryland casinos, given they're, they're actually pretty new. So, Yeah, I, it's probably Bally's for me, too. I mean, I I wish I had spent all that early time in Showboat instead of Bally's, but I feel like I sort of was late to the Showboat party. and, and always Yeah, we, of, bo- we both kind of were. Yeah. Uh, we could have kept it open, Kyle. It would have been open if if only for our, like, you know. <laughs> if only we had trip. spent more, more time at the pie guy table next to the noodle bar in the secret bathroom. Yeah, that... Five percent commission could have made all the difference. Yeah, they're just raking it in. Five percent commission, and I don't bank as often as I need to, so they're just winning the pushes. Yeah, nonstop. That was the difference. Now we know why Showboat closed, so we've uncovered that. Uh, Bart Blatstein, to get sort of the obvious question that I think a lot of people probably were asking, uh, Bart Blatstein not interested. He said in the Taj Mahal, so don't assume that he's going to jump in and buy it. I would assume that Straub, Glenn Straub has his hands full <laughs> with trying to open the Revel <laughs> and is not interested in buying the the big Taj next door. But I don't know. I, 
I am interested to see if somebody is just allured by this thing and it's like, this was the casino in Atlantic City. Like, I want it. Uh, which you can't if, say for any of the other ones. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Are you ready to be done with, with which, Taj Talk? Which, so which which casino would you buy, Craig? If you were, you know, super rich or you were, you know, the, the decision maker of a group of investors... So if you, you were you were the, G, G, the GP and you know you had a bunch of limited partners too and I mean I think if I had a bunch of limited partners I'd have to go Taj because it's easier to to convince people that that's a good investment. If uh, okay if it's just if you. I'm just some rich asshole and I am like I've got all this money I'm gonna buy a sweet casino. My heart really wants me to buy the Atlantic Club and yes and, that's exactly right and fight them on the on the casino thing which I think you'd win um I think that if you really wanted to go to war on on that deed restriction I think you'd win yeah uh, I, I I assume so too I assume that that the uh the city council would also probably be your ally in that fight which it's always helpful to have the government behind you right and more than anything I mean there's just some amount that you could write on a check to Caesars that <laughs> would get rid of that deed, de- deed restriction post haste, you know. And you could buy it for like ten million dollars as opposed to whatever they'd want for the other stuff. I mean, you could also buy Trump Plaza cheap, but I would stay far, far away from that. Right. So, to me, the thing that always struck me about Atlantic Club is that it felt nice. Like you walked in and you just thought this place used to be so incredibly nice. Yeah, you're like in nineteen. 19- 82, like, this place was the bomb. Yeah, and you just see sort of the initial inklings of Steve Wynn, and it's got those like big windows. Everything is marble. Yeah, and, and those giant windows out onto the beach, and just, like, I think if you were super rich and you could redo the layout of the place and really invest in the rooms that look like they've never been updated but are huge, uh, you could you could make a great place in a property that... I love. So that's where I go to invest. My head would sort of say Trump Plaza just because it's dead center of where it is. But mm. if I was buying that, I don't think I I think you'd have to have some angle. Like I think you'd have to have some sort of like totally out of left field something that's going to attract people. Like it's going to be I don't know, like what is it? Main Street Station that has a brewery in Ellis Island. Like maybe you're going that route. I don't know. Maybe you've got an amusement park. Maybe you're just going to do something totally crazy and gut the place. And that's all going to be insanely expensive. So I'm allured by the location. I think the logistics are prohibitive. Uh, I agree. Yeah. So somebody buy Atlantic Club and make it awesome. Somebody. I agree. Somebody who's listening to this has to have you know just a billion dollars lying around to pump into that thing. Oh, poker stars wanted it bad, man. State of New Jersey said no. Yeah, I wonder if the state uh, regrets that. I would be interested to know, but... All right, I think we've talked enough about this. Yeah, that's enough bad news. (laughs) Uh, So, I feel like we've mentioned our Facebook group many times recently, but worth mentioning yet again is that Michael uh, from TravelsWork.com posted an article that was written for his site, uh by Vegas Introvert, and it talks about the joys of the group gamble. And the idea about the group gamble is basically that, you know, normally you go and you have three of your buddies and you all take a seat at the blackjack table. Like you take four seats, you take over the table, you hang out. That's kind of the standard way of, of you know, gambling with your friends, right? So this idea is you pool your money. So say instead of everybody buying it at the same blackjack table for $100 and you're playing four separate hands among you and you're having a good time, you're all buying in and you have you know, $400 and you're betting four times the amount on every hand. And it makes the stakes higher and you're more excited about everything. The other big advantage is that you have one player's card on there and all of a sudden there average bet is way, way higher than it normally is. It's four times higher than it normally is if if you've got a group of four. Uh, This is an interesting idea, um, something we've actually done a couple times. I don't know if you've ever ever been involved when we've done that. Uh, No, I don't think so. So Eric said he actually recommends this to friends of his who are low to mid rollers who are looking to either pad or protect their average daily theoretical. And basically the idea is if you're there for a few days, 
you go to one casino, you do this, you do four times the bet, pull your money, and you use one person's card. And then you go to, you know, maybe the next day you go to a different casino or you're in the same casino, depending on how you want to do it, and you use a different person's card. So as far as the casino is concerned, only one person has bet during that day, but they have bet four times more than they normally do. And so it ups your average daily theoretical a lot. Obviously, if you're normally a high roller, but your friends want to bet lower limits, it sort of protects your average daily theoretical to do it this way rather than just having everybody play $5 at the table or like you don't give them your card, which we talked about last week, like just do it playing unrated. Uh, so that so it's interesting in that way um, as a way to sort of pad pad your stay. And for me as a low roller, it's an interesting way to sort of probably make a better case for yourself with the casino to get comped rooms because for me like i'm not getting much else but what i really want is the free night um so you know if if i had three friends there and i was betting four times on my card it would probably move me much much closer to a comped room it would probably get me much more comped rooms than i get now what else so we actually have done this with um our friend taylor uh and a couple other friends i don't yeah like i said i don't think you've ever been involved but it was four people right it was you taylor the other craig yeah and i think it was either dave was or the four Tom. it was must have, it must have been no it was dave <laughs> i think it was dave yeah. so and we've done it another time we did it i think just me dave and taylor last time we were in atlantic city just for a few minutes at a crafts table and we made like 15 bucks each but the way that we typically do it is actually not to quadruple our bets and increase our comps or anything. It's actually to lower our risk. <laughs> like the way we typically do it is, well, we could each put in and have have the risk that all of us have these huge swings with the table, or we could put in and only have a quarter of the risk and bet the same as we would normally, meaning like there's a representative who I think both times has been Taylor, who will basically, you know, bet the minimum on the pass line, back it up with the odds, either, you know, three times or, you know, maybe a little more depending on what the table table maximums are. And you buy in, everything's split totally on the buy-ins, and then when the money comes out at the end, you just split it four ways. It's as easy as that. Uh, so it's it doesn't help with our ADT at all. It doesn't help with our comps at all, but it does lower the risk. So that is another reason to do it. You know, if you just don't have the stomach for, like maybe there's only a $25 craps table open, or that would be insane. Maybe there's only a $15 craps table open, and you really want to play craps. In Baltimore, it's not insane. All the craps tables basically are $25. Yeah, Baltimore, yeah, Baltimore, Maryland Live, like all those casinos that expect high table minimums. when Us, us Marylanders like our craps. Yeah, and I mean, when there's not that much casino uh, competition, the opportunity to have higher hand limits. I mean, I think you said the lowest you saw was $50 pie gal last time you were at Maryland Live. Is that right? <laughs> uh, horseshoe. Actually, both. Yeah, yeah pie gal is super expensive. And and for tiles, it was $100. Actually, no. Poker was 25 and tiles was 100 That's a lot. So, yes. So we basically, so we did this at the Bellagio um, maybe three years ago, four years ago. And four of our friends, like we said, all pooled our money. Uh, we just come out of the buffet, we were stuffed, and we were like, yeah, let's play at this table for a little bit. So we each put in 50 bucks. Uh, so we had $200 total at a $10 blackjack, at a $10 uh, crafts table. Taylor's the guy actually at the table, and we're just sort of hanging back. And the table's up against the wall, so we're, you know, all fat after the buffet and leaning up against the wall and trying not to fall asleep. And so the table's just red hot. I mean, it, I don't think we were ever down anything. It was like the first shooter made a couple points, we're up. This next shooter made a couple points, we're up. The Bellagio has the all-tall small bet, or at least did at this time, where it's it's not like you have to make all the points. I think you have to just roll them. Is that right? I don't, I, I'm pretty sure that's right. I'm pretty sure you do not have to make the points because it's not as hard as the fire bet. Um, so... We see somebody has an insane roll and misses the all-tall small by one number. And all of a sudden, everybody's in on the all-tall small. They're like, okay, well, this was close. Everybody seems to be hot, like hot table. Everybody's putting money on the all-tall small. So we put five bucks on each. And I think the all-tall small pays something like 34 to one for the tall, 34 to one for the small, which is like, you know, two through six and eight through 12, uh, the, yep. the, the small and the tall. 
and then it's like 174 to 1. Don't quote these numbers. I think they're a little off uh, <laughs> on the all. And so we had $5 on each. And the guy, it's another hot roll. Like the guy's hitting numbers. Uh, he's made a few points and he hits the small. So he makes all the numbers in the small. We get paid out the 30, whatever it is, 34, 36 to 1. And we're really pumped about it. And the guy next to Taylor is just like laughing because, you know, we're, we've got this money split four ways. He's betting actual like real money, even well above the table minimum. Uh, and then and I think when he when the guy hit the small, he was only two off from the tall and the all, which is the real payoff. And Taylor's getting like visibly excited at the table. And the guy just looks over and laughs. And there's a really like everybody's upbeat at the table. So everybody's joking around with each other. The guy looks over and he's like, what are you so nervous about? You're not even gambling. <laughs> and like everybody just busts out laughing. Like, and we, you know, we're laughing because like, no, we're not really gambling. I mean, we're splitting this four ways. We've got $5 on each of this thing. And you know, if we all, if we hit these numbers, we actually don't stand to make a ton of money because it's going to get split four ways. So long story short, or not that short, the guy hits the all tall small. So he hit the whole thing. Um, it was, so it's, I don't remember the total numbers is something like 170 bucks for the, tall and the small, and then, I don't know, a lot, $800 or something in that range, uh, seven-something for the all. So we made like $1,000 just on that alone. It took like a half an hour to pay everybody out because there was so much money on the all tall small. There was so much money on the board um, while this guy's rolling. And so it just took forever to pay everybody out. And I'm a guess, I don't know if they had to do the like W2Gs for everybody because the, the amounts were huge. The fact that we were under that, I think, says <laughs> something about how, how little we were gambling. But pretty quickly after that, I think when that guy finally crapped out, we left the table. And our we had turned our 200 into uh, over $1,600. We each ended up making like 350 bucks at the table. Uh, and that was, you know, my profit for the trip, which at the time I thought, you know, that's a huge profit, my $350, except there, you know, I think a little part of all of us was like, you know, if we had just each bet in, bought in for our for a hundred instead of 50, we would all be rolling in it. We'd all have $1,600, <laughs> but, uh, still that's the story. It was fun. Uh, awesome to see a very long crafts roll that made everybody a ton of money. Um, so that's one way to do the group gamble and it's a fun time. I mean, it's a fun way to do it if you're not into the risk or if you actually want to increase the amount that you're betting on every hand. Uh, do you, are you even interested in that or do you just want your own money on the table? Like, are you, are you not a fan of the group gamble? Um, I, I think for me, like if we want to look at this logically, sort of discounting what I want, I, I think it might make some sense for me to be a part of this on, on days that for whatever reason, I don't feel like betting as much as I usually do. Uh, because a like it it would bring down my ADT if I just bet it on my own and b like you know honestly when I'm not betting as much as I usually do if it was on your card like I think that would push you up quite a bit um but you know I've said it before like I think if you're gambling for comps like you're probably not doing the right thing very likely uh, unless you're really like really really on top of everything that's going on, it's kind of easy to to sort of miss the forest through the trees and and be so worried about about how to maximize your comps that you're forgetting how much money you're losing or or whatever. Um, so so generally speaking, uh, I'm gonna say for me, like like you, all I really care about is if I can get a free room, I'm happy. But it, it does make sense for a lot of people. I mean, I think for like people like you, Andy, Dave, like it makes a lot of sense. And and even for me on days, if I'm if I'm for whatever reason, like let's say I have a, an awful day one on a gambling trip, which is usually what I do without fail, it could make sense for me to to just you know do this on day two. So one thing actually that I think you kind of mentioned is that, um, so, and one thing that Vegas introvert said in his post is that they kind of used his card, I think, because they like he he was the highest roller in the group or had the best comps in the group and other people in the group are taking advantage of his comps a lot of times. And so 
you know, for me, a lot of times I, I, you know, obviously we go together a lot and a lot of times, and so I have it sort of in my head that I like, oh yeah, I get free rooms in AC all the time. That's not really true. Most of my free rooms have been through you. (laughs) Right. So in, in a lot of ways it would actually make sense to, for you just to always, if like, if I don't really care about being the person at the table, or if yeah, like it would make sense for me to actually just add to your action, like to double your action and give you some mm-hmm. money, and we just split it at the end, and then it's more likely that we end up with comps, that we end up with mm-hmm. those comp rooms that I can take advantage. And I actually thought about that around when you were doing the diamond in a day, or like afterward. Yep. Like if you're really pushing for diamond in a day, like should you buy in for a percentage of right, it? Right, because both of us, because I end up getting a lot of the advantages. So, yeah, because you, you got to go to the Diamond Lounge and... And take it for yeah, free rooms, take advantage of the rooms. The benefit is obviously significantly less if it's just two of you than if it's mm-hmm. four, although the other side of that is if it's four of you, you can't all share a room. I mean, you can, but it's annoying. You know, we're, yeah, we're I mean, adults. <laughs> if, uh, right, when you're 21, like it's totally cool and acceptable to do that, I think. But There are no bunk bed rooms in Atlantic City. We, We've reached the point in our lives where I feel like I'm I'm 33 and I don't need to share a bed. Yeah. So because I'm an adult and I don't want to share a bed with the dude. Yeah. So but part of me is intrigued. Like part of me is definitely intrigued. Um, I may try to get see if Andy and Dave will go in with me on this in uh, <laughs> in. Uh, the next time we go to Atlantic City, if if we all end up going as a group, because I expect like Andy, especially, it's pretty rare, right, that he would go without one of the two of us going. So true, or Dave, honestly. Yeah. So either of them, like, it makes a lot of it, sense for them for, for any of our friends, honestly, except except maybe Taylor, because I know he does like he books conferences and stuff. Right up there. Yeah, I think he at least last time we went was getting better rates than I was. So. But it it does make sense probably for them but, to to increase one of our comps even more than it does for them to try to get their own like discounted rate because I think part of the issue is that right now we're all getting kind of the same not you but like me Taylor Dave Andy are all getting similar discounts and they're not great I mean if you mm-hmm. can increase like one of our ADT to a point where we're actually getting comped rooms especially if it's comped rooms on a on Friday nights Saturday nights like that makes a huge difference for all of us or for at mm-hmm. least a couple of us. Uh, so so I'm interested in that. It's totally possible that I'll go and I'll just be like, nah, screw you guys, I just want to play. <laughs> like, I don't want to <laughs> deal with any of this. But interesting thought. Uh, you can go talk about it in the Facebook group. Um, it, it is interesting. And I, I, I actually I do think if you just look at it, like, with a very, you know, cold and calculating mind like i think it makes a lot of sense but it is something else you kind of have to think about and be cognizant of and keep track of yeah and and that post the post is actually at travelzork z-o-r-k.com right uh, if you which want. is uh yeah it's michael traeger's i don't know if it's actually his site but it's at least a, at the very least a site he is affiliated with yeah i think i think it is his site i think he's one of the founders uh-huh. um so uh Jimmy Buffett in Atlantic City this weekend. What do you have to say about that? I don't care. Yeah, so I know we have a friend who cares, and he was sad yeah. that he is not going. But our friend, that friend, is not me. Yeah, that's true. So uh, I'm sure it'll be fact. Jimmy Buffett uh, draws the crowd, but it's what the people like. It is what the people like. Yeah, pe- people love him, yeah. and and more power to them. Yeah, I mean. Go listen to some music on a beach, drink some frozen drinks, enjoy yourselves if you're hanging out, and uh, I don't know, I think that's pretty much it for us. Yeah, I think that we've covered everything we want to cover, so. So thank you to everyone for posting in the Facebook group. You can find that at facebook.com slash groups slash do for a win. The website is doforawin.com. That's where you can find our show notes, all the links to all the Christian Hedrick articles and Nicholas Huba articles that I mentioned today. It also has the post from Snickers99Poker on Twitter, who I actually realize now that I didn't even mention his name when I brought up his guest post. <laughs> uh, so that is available on doforawin.com. 
The podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can download it on our website. You can stream it on our website. Uh, find it wherever, although you're already listening to it, so you've already found it. Uh, Twitter is at do for a win, and you can send any questions you have to do for a win at gmail.com. And we've been getting a good amount of emails lately, so keep those coming in. Keep posting in the Facebook group, and good luck if you're headed to Atlantic City in the next couple weeks. Indeed, have a have a nice couple of weeks. We're we're trying to work on uh, a couple things. Hopefully, we'll have some special episodes with some some guests coming up for you. But uh, we'll see how it how it shakes out over the next couple of weeks. And yeah, and we're also trying to figure out a date for when we're going to get back out to Atlantic City. And it keeps it's a it's and a it moving keeps, target. It, it, keep, it keeps slipping, unfortunately. I think I think we're looking at early November now. But uh, we'll let you guys know. Yeah, it keeps getting pushed back. I know. But life's too busy, man. Don't have kids under one. Yeah. We'll we'll have more news soon, I say, but probably not. <laughs> right, we'll talk to you in two weeks. Alright, yeah, we'll talk to you guys the weekend of the twenty seventh. I never know. Uh, sometimes I think it's like shit and I listen to it and I'm like, that's actually pretty decent. Yeah.